We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Wire College Football Podcast. It is Wednesday, September 11th. Nick Whalen back with John McKechnie. A lot to talk about in week two of the college football season. We'll, we'll look ahead a little bit to week three, but beyond the DFS implications, not a ton of games this week to get excited about. Uh, the fact that college game day is at Iowa State, Iowa, uh, I think kind of hammers that point home. So kind of a week off after some explosive games in weeks one and two uh, from you know just a pure watching perspective, but still plenty to get to um in, in terms of fantasy but i want to recap week two first yes. and i just want to open up the floor for you to talk about what some are calling the best team in the country yes i mean obviously you know with that sort of lead in you know exactly where i'm going with this you look no further than college park you look no further than Ever. those those fighting t- 
Maryland Terrapins, uh, who are led by Mike Loxley and, and Scotty Montgomery. They've led an offensive resurgence in, in College Park that's been ridiculous to this point. I mean, the, the hanging of 78 points on, on Howard is one thing, but to come out the following week and to spank Dino Babers at his own game, you know, basically every, everyone's like, oh, the Syracuse offense, it's infallible. Um, you know, they're going to be the team that, that really – Test Clemson the most this year, and Maryland just spanks them for a full sixty minutes. Uh, hangs another what was it sixty points? 62? Sixty-three points. Sixty-three. Okay, I uh, just wanted to get that straight. It, so. it was like the football incarnation of that Foghorn Leghorn gift, where he's just spanking the dog over and over and over. <laughs> it was basically that playing out on a green football field. Yes, yes, spanking that dog, man. So uh, Josh Jackson having a real quarterback at Maryland. Uh, I think the first three hundred yard passer since two thousand thirteen. I think this is the first time that Maryland has been ranked since 2013 so the program it's on its way back up uh, you know for for as much as dj durkin will not be looked upon kindly uh, as, as history wears on he was able to bring in some talent uh, at, at this maryland program that i think loxley is is seeming to get the most out of right now and they're on a roll um, i think that they the the division that they're in is just it's going to be impossible to really finish higher than like fourth or something but at the same time, like they, they have a tough game up against Penn State in a couple weeks. I think that that could be, you know, whoever wins or loses that one finishes fourth in the uh, in the division. Yeah, I mean, that was obviously the headliner from week two. I think everyone had their eyes on that Maryland game. Um, we certainly did. We, we called that. A <laughs> um, M Clemson was uh, I believe that was a two thirty start, so one of the one of the big afternoon games that went up against Central Michigan, Wisconsin, which turned into an even bigger romp than in week one for Wisconsin, who, who went down and, in your words, spanked uh, South Florida. <laughs> but um, takeaways from A&M Clemson, it, you, you, I think we've come to expect Clemson to almost blow teams out bigger than this. You know, 24 to 10 doesn't look all that impressive, especially when you take into account a week one where Clemson was good, they were dominant. But I think maybe the prevailing storyline from week one uh, for Clemson, maybe outside of ETN going for 200 plus yards, was Trevor Lawrence throwing two picks. Mm-hmm. He responds, plays well. I mean, 25 or 24 of 35, 268, throws a touchdown, throws another pick though at home against AM. Um, I think I said last week I expected this to be a bigger romp in favor of Clemson. Uh, AM did a great job containing ETN, just 53 yards, didn't even find the end zone, only one rush of 10 yards, nothing longer. Um, not you really can't call this a feel good loss for a m you know sure, especially, they're, they're with, not with, especially with the schedule they have coming up um you know you, you, to get within two touchdowns against clemson and, and kind of feel like you're close for most of the game um you know I, I don't think this is a moral victory by any means but uh, a little bit interesting uh, at least with with how this clemson team maybe isn't looking quite as dominant as we thought or, or am i just underrating a and um i think i do really feel like a and m is one of the best teams in the country so th- this kind of felt like a vintage alabama win from from like the yeah. past couple of years like pre Tua, when they would you know maybe not put out their best effort you know a, a team that's a little bit uh, beneath them, like like the good Dak Prescott teams or something like that, or, or a good Nick Fitzgerald Miss State teams, mostly miss, those Miss State teams, uh, giving them a little bit of trouble, kind of dragging them into the mud a little bit there. So A and M kind of had that similar feel where you know they're a good team. They probably didn't have the horses to hold up against Clemson for sixty minutes, but they were going to give Clemson everything that they had, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And that's what ended up happening. Um, and I, I guess A&M d- does end up covering that 17 and a half point spread. So good for them getting the cover on the road. But yeah, 
if you're in if you're in Aggie land, like you're definitely not feeling like this is a moral victory at all, uh, especially given how close the game was last year is a little bit more competitive uh, in 2018. So tough kind of dose of reality, I think, for A&M more than anything. And then I guess for, for Clemson, you know, you you bring up the point that we haven't really seen Clemson hit its full stride yet. And that's definitely fair. And that's like the scary part yeah, because you know, they, they were able to dispatch a team that's probably top mm-hmm. 10 overall in terms of up and down talent. Um, and they did it. It never really felt like Clemson was in danger of losing this game. No. Um, and Justin Ross, 15 targets in that game, but just 94 yards. So he hasn't even fully gotten going yet. And he did have a really, really nice touchdown uh, in that game, of course. But uh, we haven't we haven't seen him and Higgins uh, hit full efficiency. Also, shout out Amari Rogers, T. Martin's son, actually, Amari Rogers. Um, I I don't know the backstory there, but uh, (laughs) I would have never guessed uh, towards ACL in March and was playing on Saturday. So really incredible recovery for him. So that was pretty awesome. Um, But yeah, I'd say like from just an overall watchability, that game was a bit of a flop. I guess, guess, you know, like it it was okay, but I I much quicker turned my attention to that Colorado Nebraska game Mm -hmm. than I thought I would. One quick note on Clemson. Are they are they kind of done with having to try? the rest of the year i mean you look at the schedule they go to syracuse next week which prior to this past weekend looked like it might be a much bigger test Um, although syracuse did give them trouble in a game that they lost a quarterback last year beyond that it's charlotte it's north carolina it's a a struggling florida state team it's a struggling louisville team boston college wofford nc state wake forest and then at south carolina to close out none of those teams of course are currently ranked I wouldn't bet on any of them being ranked at the time that they play Clemson. Um, you know, they're the, this is their conference schedule. It's not like they they independently scheduled all these games. You can't blame them. But from here on out, any loss that Clemson suffers will be viewed as you know a complete abomination. Yeah, I think that they're going to be they're in that territory where they'll be favored by two touchdowns from here on. Um, I think that this Syracuse game up on the road, like you said, it was going to be billed a, a little bit bigger than it is uh, now after what happened to Syracuse, but. You know, Carrier Dome, not an easy place to play. They keep it really hot in there. So, and, you know, the, the Syracuse mm-hmm. faithful are going to be jacked up for that game. It's going to be really loud and everything. Uh, I still think Clemson, over the course of 60 minutes, beats them. I think Syracuse might have a quarterback problem with, with Tommy DeVito. He was able to put up some numbers last week, but it didn't feel like he was really in control necessarily. Um, so, I, I think that Syracuse could be in a little bit of trouble there. That this is, uh, I have a, a sinking feeling that my Syracuse eight and a half bet is uh, not going to hit. I'm going to go Clemson in that game, too. Yeah. You know, I'm trying to dive into the controversy. Um, a couple quick notes before we talk LSU-Texas, which turned into an awesome game yes. um, as one of the late-night options. Uh, Rondell Moore. Can we transfer Rondell Moore to a different school, like like any other school, like a top 25 school, anywhere but Purdue, where what he does means something? 13 catches, 220 yards, and a touchdown in a win over Vanderbilt on Saturday. This is a team that lost to Nevada, which got beat by like 150. Yeah. Um, was it Oregon, Oregon that beat yeah. them? Yeah. This past weekend, he had 11 receptions, 124 yards, and a touchdown in that game. Only has two carries on the year for three yards. You know, he's one of the best, if not the best, all purpose player in the entire country. And I don't like that he's stuck in in West Lafayette. It's it's strange, and you know, you wish that there was a little bit more around him. Uh, 
you know, and I think that their quarterback got dinged up this past weekend. So we'll have to see if he if he's ready to play this coming week. Because yeah, like Rondell Moore alone is like appointment viewing for you know it makes you want to watch Purdue. It almost. feels like he should be at Ohio State. I'm glad he's not for Wisconsin's purposes, but just he seems like a quintessential purposes. Dobbins type of guy who just kills Wisconsin on you know bubble screens and whatnot. Yeah, he's he's just so electric. And then like for, from like a fantasy aspect, like there's no one more bankable than him. Like yeah. you know there are other good receivers on Purdue, but I mean he's a lock to still get 15 like no one else in the big 10 really plays that sort of wide open style and they they kind of have to out of necessity they're not going to be able to recruit a bunch of bullies Mm -hmm. to to really compete with your michigan states your wisconsin's and so on so they kind of have to play this way brom kind of accepts that and got guys like rondell Moore to buy into it and yeah i mean 15 targets a game every single week you know he's going to catch at least 10 of Mm -hmm. them and you know he's going to do a lot with that so actually one of the kind of sneaky most fun matchups this weekend is purdue versus tcu because tcu has a guy that's very much like their own rondale Moore. uh his name is jalen rager and he's really really super explosive um we, we haven't really heard much from him this year because they, they open up against an fcs opponent and i believe they were on a bye last week so like t- it's been all quiet on the tcu front uh but jalen rager extremely electric player uh that they have down there kind of an all-purpose guy mm-hmm. in a in a rondale Moore sense can make an impact in the return game so more versus Rager this weekend uh for for the fantasy ads out there it's gonna be nuts I know you want to talk about Illinois UConn uh, a strange game that was won by Illinois I this is like if they played the beef O'Brady's bowl in week two of the college football season um Illinois goes to UConn and wins this game they put up 24 points uh outscoring UConn 24 to 3 in the second quarter alone uh finished with 31 for the game did you actually watch any of this no i did not a second of it actually crossed ask my you eyes. one more time did you actually watch any of this <laughs> you, i've been injected with sodium pentothal listeners <laughs> i have to tell the truth here <laughs> i'm hooked up to a car battery i did not watch a single second of it i promise okay well we don't have but to talk was, about that <laughs> the the the, the wire uh discord was popping off during that game a lot a lot of discussion about the illinois yukon game that you know i think I wish was scrubbed from the history of the internet because a lot, lot of lot of thoughts about that game that should not be had because there no one should think about that game. Okay, I'm All ashamed right. of myself. I, still, I gave you the option. I, I know this is, this I know. is your choice. This, okay. is, this is me kind of coming around full right. circle. I feel I, bad. I guess we'll have to fall back and talk about that lame LSU Texas uh. game. 45-38 LSU. Joe Burrow throws for almost 500 yards. Finishes with 471, 31 of 39, four touchdowns and a pick. Sam Ellinger almost equally good did not throw a pick had four touchdowns of his own 401 yards not quite as efficient 31 of 47 but he also rushed for 60 yards um this just didn't feel like an lsu game you know you're watching watch a lot of lsu they're always on tv they're always you know in the top 15 these last five ten years it's usually just hand the ball off to leonard fournette 31 times hand it off to darius guys hand it off to jeremy hill whoever it may be they only they barely got over 100 rushing yards as a team in this game um you know texas got you know, got to 121 as a team but on 37 carries yeah there's probably um, some like sack yardage baked yeah in there. right yeah. exactly um but still i mean neither of these teams are, are teams that at least in recent history you would you would think are going to have both quarterbacks throwing for 400 plus yards no and that's what we saw here i mean three receivers for lsu up over 120 yards um two for for texas and, and colin johnson had a quiet night you know just three for 49 didn't find the end zone uh, but nonetheless this was a wildly entertaining game i love the aggressive play calling late by lsu which you know really ended up sealing this game for mm-hmm. them 39 total points scored in the fourth quarter alone yeah that game was everything we could have hoped for and maybe a little bit more and, and you know it's interesting to your point about the 
how you would expect the run games in particular, just based on recent history with these programs to get it going. And with LSU, it's just such a different team this year. It's like, it's like they've completely changed their identity uh, overnight almost because, I mean, you look at this team and you mentioned how little they were able to get going from the, from its running backs, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, uh, Leonard Fournette, and so on. And that's why coming into this year, I was so high on John Emery because I knew that this running back court, it, as it stood from from its 2018 pieces, wasn't going to be able to get it done. I was not counting on... I thought it was basically just lip service, what, what, uh, what Coach O was saying about how this offense is going to be spread out and fast and Coach multiple. O doesn't do lip service. I, I guess not, man, I, apparently, because, I mean, they are they are <laughs> as dangerous an offense as there is in the SEC that's not named Alabama. I mean, they are, I think they've surpassed Georgia in terms of, you know, like an offense that you'd be more scared to, to go against right now. Those receivers are the real deal, all three of them, uh, starters, and, and Joe Burrow could not be more confident right now, like could not be playing at a higher level. This this system seems to fit him perfectly. So this is this is uncharted territory for LSU to be this exciting on offense and I'm I'm here for it, man. This is this is awesome. And then on Texas's part, um Ellinger, he's a total gamer. Like I, I respect that guy so much. He plays so hard. Um I think that the rest of the talent around him, especially the the running back core, is kind of letting him down a little bit. Um, but the, you know, we kind of saw the emergence of guys like Brennan Eagles and, and Devin uh, Duvernay uh, over the course of that game against LSU. That's why that's kind of why Colin Johnson kind of went into the background a little bit because those guys really stepped up and were able to to crush it in their specific roles. And Ellinger also was able to run a good bit. Um, I felt like and not get bottled up by this LSU defense. A lot of people were kind of maligning uh, what Dave Aranda was was calling as far as his coverages and schemes against that Texas offense goes did your opinion of Texas really change at all in this game like to me I I didn't I didn't see this as wow Texas really blew this game at home they didn't show up I I felt like LSU just came in there and grabbed it from them yeah it just it solidifies that LSU is a top four team and and it solidifies that Texas is really good but they're they are second tier like they aren't they aren't an elite team. I, I think that, you know, you'd go like Bama, Clemson, Georgia, LSU, Oklahoma, Ohio State, LA, Illinois, Wisconsin, <laughs> Illinois, yeah. uh, Maryland. Uh, and I think that that's all like a pretty solidified tier. I think Texas is just on that cusp, but but they're not there yet. Yep. So LSU has a nice chance to to kind of take it easy after a few big games early on. They get Northwestern State. Against Coach O's alma mater. He's a Northwestern State guy? Oh, yeah. Oh, Oh, absolutely that's one of those schools that unless you follow college football or college basketball you just you would never assume is in louisiana but of course it is yeah i like didn't know that until like yeah. last year or something <laughs> um they should they should take care of business there they go to vanderbilt another relatively easy game as far as sec games go home against utah state on october 5th uh, and all this leads up to florida lsu on october 12th then you can kind of look ahead to auburn lsu at the end of the month so a little bit of a break these next few weeks for lsu but texas goes to rice this week sam mcguffey U, mm. jared dillard U, um and then it's oklahoma state and kind of right into big 12 scheduling there at west virginia red river uh, rivalry game on october 12th a tough home game uh, against uh, the fighting um what's oh i'm totally blank mark manginos oh my oh goodness oh my gosh the uh, yeah, those fighting jayhawks yeah, fight, i was less, gonna say rick Bajeras, less those miles, two are kind of the less, same person Les miles is gonna get real confused <laughs> when he goes on that turf and tries to he just starts eating tire shreds because <laughs> they, they don't play on natural grass in texas um we need to talk about the lsu locker room situation so coach o claims that there was no ac uh, before and after the game it got the, tipped off from his fellow louisiana brethren yeah um and by all accounts there was ac in the texas locker room you would think that would kind of be a, a full system 
thing, right? You know, if, if one is out, the other's probably out. But uh, apparently that was not the case. Yeah, I, I this is one of those things that only happens in college football. And, and I just love it. I, I love this sort of gamesmanship there. I mean, there, there's a classic Iowa example where yep. they keep the opposing locker room pink. And then Harbaugh like knew that and, <laughs> and sent the equipment managers a day early to just wallpaper the whole freaking locker room and go blue stuff. Yep. I love little just caddy game gamesmanship stuff like this. And, you know, Texas's AD comes out and is like, oh, you know, we, we do our best to provide the best facilities yep. for our visitors and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you know, you know, it's total BS. Yep. He knows it's total BS, but it's, you know, he, he has to say it. And I just love it. NBA fans will remember a, a similar situation in the 2014 finals um, oh, yes. at, at San Antonio. It was either game one or game two of that series where the, the AC just apparently didn't work. Um, and the Heat had already, you know, were already tired at that point. Dwayne Wade was breaking down and of course, San Antonio went on to win that game. I was and driving. I was driving to Madison to begin my RotoWire internship. Really? Yes. That would have been yeah mid June of 2014. That's right. A uh, fateful day. Mm. Um, I don't really want to talk too much about Wisconsin. They've shut out their first two opponents. Jonathan Taylor looks great. Jack Cohn looks suspiciously confident. Yeah. Um, got it's to see a little bit good. of Graham Mertz in this game. They went through three quarterbacks. Um, not not a lot to report there. Talked about Clemson. Uh, you know, Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia, Ohio State, they're all kind of in the same upper tier right now. Alabama may be a, a slight step ahead. All four of them absolutely rolled over inferior opponents. Uh, I mean, I, I think some people thought Cincinnati might give Ohio State somewhat of a game. That was not the case at all. But the other three, you know, just kind of laughers. Yep. Uh, Michigan Army. What is Shea Patterson just not good anymore? I, I actually watched almost this entire game at a bowling alley Sorry in, in northern Wisconsin. Um, and, and it just, I mean, I, I, I have kind of come around on maybe giving Michigan a little bit of a pass. The more, the more I've read about, you know, how, how tough army is not that that's really news to anybody. Um, of course they gave Oklahoma a really, really close game last year. Oklahoma ended up being totally fine after that, but this is different. Yeah. It, it just didn't, Michigan just doesn't look right. They didn't look fully right in week one. Um, and then that, that matchup against Wisconsin in a couple of weeks looms and, you know, I was watching watching this game with several Wisconsin alums, and I, I think people feel much better about that Michigan game now than we did two weeks ago. I do too. Like, I, as it stands right now, I feel confident in Wisconsin going into that into that matchup in in Week Four. It's in Madison too. That's right. That's going to be a fun weekend up here. But I mean, yeah, M- Michigan. You know, they're they're also running out of excuses a little bit like I, I definitely get what you're saying about army and i think we we might have mentioned on the pod that just like the the spread seemed off because nobody beats army by that much just because they hold the ball so long but you know this wasn't the best army game that we've seen and yet like michigan like had chances to to you know do their do their thing and get this going he, shea patterson had i think the same amount of pass attempts as he did against middle tennessee so i mean he it's not like he was on the sidelines the entire game the way that kyler murray was in that oklahoma game kyler murray was still really good when he was out there against army he just didn't get a lot of chances because army hold, held the ball for like 40 minutes patterson i think we're just kind of having to accept the fact that maybe he's not all that he was cracked up to be as a recruit going to Ole Miss. And, you know, he kind of looked like uh, like a, like Johnny Manziel light a little bit in his early Ole Miss days, but you don't see that at all in his game. No, he doesn't look confident He's very whatsoever. rigid. He's very yeah. rigid. He's not, yeah, like you said, he's not confident really. And he's got great weapons. I mean, Nico Collins is really good. Tariq Black, now that he's healthy, is really good. Um, whenever Donovan Peoples-Jones is healthy, you know, I think he might be healthy for that Wisconsin game. He's he's out of excuses too in his own right and and I think that Michigan was so hyped up on bringing in Josh Gaddis from Alabama this offseason and 
I think it's hard to say definitively after two games or anything, but at least with Shea Patterson at the helm, maybe this is going to be a little bit clunkier than we thought, and maybe Michigan is is not really going to be that team that that gives Ohio State the biggest fight that, this year. I think a lot of people kind of thought that this would be the year they get over the hump, having the experienced quarterback, having the better offense this time around. And I still think Ohio State's king in the East. I feel the same way, and they've given us no reason through two weeks to think otherwise. Out West, Cal upsets Washington. Um, fairly surprising, I would say. I mean, yeah. it, people were talking about this game like Cal was a, an FCS team. I mean, it is still Cal at the end of the day, and I know they don't, you know, this isn't Aaron Rodgers' Cal. This isn't uh, Marshawn Lynch, Deshaun Jackson Cal by any means, but uh, even Javid Best while we're at it. Mm. But um, still a, a pretty shocking loss, I think, for Washington. Not a great game at for home. Jacob Eason at home. 18 of 30, 162 and a pick. Uh, they did get the ground game going, but it took 46 carries to get to 186 yards. Can Washington bounce back from this? I mean, in, in with the way that the Pac-12 is is shaping up, obviously you're not going to have a ton of chances to build great wins in conference. Um, you, you would think if they're going to be, you know, Washington came into this game ranked 14th, if they're going to be a serious playoff contender, they need to run the table the rest of the way, right? Yeah, and, and even then that might not be enough. So, you know, kind of like what you're saying where the Pac-12 needed, you know, let, a, let outside the whole in-conference thing, like they needed to get some signature wins out of conference. So the, the Oregon loss, I think, was already a bad start for the conference uh, to begin with against Auburn. But yeah, when you see a team that I think everyone kind of penciled in, especially in the North, at least in Washington, uh, getting cannibalized by by a team that most people would probably put what at least at best third in the North um, in Cal, a team that's offensively extremely challenged, but um, very good defensively. Very strange 180 that they've had on under Justin Wilcox in terms of the the image of the program, but yeah, it's it's looking like Washington now with, with an in conference loss that really stings them. Oregon doesn't have that, so I, I still feel good about Oregon coming out and, and winning the Pac-12. I think the bigger story in the Pac-12 on Saturday, USC. I know, right? We left him for dead. Yeah, twenty one nothing outscoring Stanford in the second half. Keaton Slovis might be for real. Made a lot of good plays in this game. USC looked fast again. Yes. Not something you could say about a lot of these USC teams, even though the recruiting's been good. Um, Lynn Swan oddly stepping away or maybe being asked to step away after a huge win was was kind of a bizarre development in the wake of this game. But Timing is weird, but you, you wouldn't expect them to do it right. right. <laughs> I mean, we were talking about USC almost guaranteed to lose their next three or four games and mm-hmm. I don't know that this changes much for their long-term outlook for the rest of the season, but I think it at least changes their perception in the short term and, and what you think about this Keaton Slovis, who by USC standards, not a big recruit, you know, not someone that was going to be waiting in the wings necessarily in two or three years, even, you know, just kind of a depth player who just happened to be the next man up. Um, and, he, and he looked to me like a little bit more than a game manager in, in that way. Yeah, it's almost I draw a parallel just out of familiarity to, to Georgia a little bit where they, they brought in this guy, Dwan Mathis, in this past recruiting cycle. And he's he's like a definite like division one player. But Georgia is hoping and praying that they don't have to turn to the, to this kid. I don't think he's going to be able to play this year for unrelated medical issue. But um the the parallels remain where USC definitely like you said recruited Slovis to be quality depth more more than anything else it, Daniels is going to be their guy or was supposed to be until the knee injury happened so 
anything that happens with, with Slovis from here on is, you know, he at least caught my eye this past weekend. I think, you know, in fantasy leagues where you're struggling to, to fill out your quarterback position, mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't have said this a week ago, but now I do feel like Slovis is kind of going to be a fantasy relevant guy. And like you said, there's a lot of speed and talent around him in that receiving core that, that can kind of like lift him up. So we talked a little bit about what to look ahead for in week three. Like you said, zero ranked versus ranked matchups. Um, yeah, I, I really have a hard time getting excited for this slate, but I'll, I'll let you highlight a couple that I know you're going to be watching regardless. Okay, so Friday night at least is going to have a fun one. We got Houston and Wazoo. We got Mike Leach going down to Houston to face Dana Holgerson. That's awesome. The Sensei versus the Grasshopper. Uh, the over-under only at 74 in this one, so I expect that to be bet up in, into the high 70s by the time the kickoff happens. I'll be supply, surprised if it doesn't. And this is a great matchup between two like the, the fantasy titans out there. We, we've seen Derek King of Houston not really hit his stride just yet, although I kind of give him a pass. He's played in two very different c- scenarios to start it off. Like Oklahoma, that's a tough spot to start it out in. Like on the road, a standalone game. Uh, it felt like I, I guess I never really noticed this at Oklahoma Stadium, but boy, the, the like the stands are so close. Like it, it feels like the the fans are right on top yep. of you um, in Norman. So like that was just a wild environment. So I don't blame him necessarily for a not great start there. And then last week playing an FCS team against Prairie View A&M, like I'll give him a pass for maybe not not bringing the A game for that one. So uh, we'll know a little bit more about his long-term fantasy upside and whether he's just another like Khalil Tate level disappointment as, as like the number one overall fantasy player. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Anthony Gordon has been amazing for, for Washington State, almost 900 yards and nine touchdowns through two games. I mean, it's, you know, the ball continues to roll as far as, as, far as that uh, Wazoo system. Um, and then I guess like, in terms of that Friday night slate overall, um, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be loaded with, with mostly most lineups are going to have Washington State and Houston. There aren't a ton of other like huge matchups there, but I have a feeling that like the winning lineup is going to have uh, have a fade of either Gordon or King and fade him for Jamie Newman of Wake Forest. So that that's I'm going to at least hedge one of my lineups to to have Newman instead of one of those guys. Probably King, even though I do feel like King is going to bounce back and he's got more rushing upside. Gordon's kind of rolling in a way right now that I can't go away from it. So Gordon and Newman might be my quarterback pairing uh, this weekend or for for the Friday slates. Um, and then also there's a BC Kansas game. AJ Dillon, one of your favorite guys, is oh, going to yeah. be running all over Kansas. It's going to be the new Rondane. That's going to be just oh god, that's going to get ugly uh, in in Kansas. And then there, one of my like favorite new sleeper guys. He's a freshman. Uh, his name is Zay Flowers at BC, and you know you don't use this term with with like uh, Boston College players very often, but like. Zay Flowers is like legit fast and explosive and exciting. Like he's he's averaging 26 yards per touch uh, to start the season. He's got two catches for like 90 some odd yards and like six carries for 100 yeah. some odd yards on top of it. So the dude is absolutely electric. And DraftKings is annoying with how sharply they have him priced. They have him at 5K. I was kind of expecting to to have him at like 3,500 or something like that. But uh, Zay Flowers is someone to, to keep an eye on for this week. And then Andrew Parchment of Kansas uh, gets a lot of targets, so he's he's useful on DraftKings as well. Any interest in Oklahoma, UCLA, or Florida State, Virginia? Which, bizarrely enough, Florida State, Virginia features a ranked team, but that team is not Florida State. Yeah, go, go Wahoos, you know, go Virginia. But, um, gosh. Who's you, that guy that they had? Grayson Lambert? 
Yeah. Who actually went to that Georgia. Memory. Yeah, right. I can't shake <laughs> that memory of him just being so bad. And that, uh, what, three years later now they're ranked? Yeah, it's unreal. And it's all thanks to Bryce Perkins. But I mean, you mentioned two coaches in there. And I want to like get your opinion on this. And maybe I'll, th- I'll throw one more guy on there. But I mean, of these year two coaches, like who has had a worse start? Is it Charlie Strong losing eight games after starting his career or nine games after starting out uh, with six consecutive wins at South Florida. Is it Willie Taggart with barely escaping Louisiana Monroe at home after losing to Boise State in a game that got moved to your home stadium? Yeah. Uh, is it Jeremy Pruitt who's 0-2 this year with some really, really tough losses? Or is it Chip? Like it, it's, it's incredible how these big name hires have all flopped at the same yeah. time. It, I think it has to be Pruitt by default, okay? Because he actually lost both games. Whereas like Taggart, like a win's a win to some degree, you know. True. I mean, when when you consider the opponent, that's not always true. But I mean, Tennessee, the sky is falling. It's it was it's worse now than it was a week ago. Like that's but that's far and away number one to me. But I mean, nobody expected UCLA to come out and win like eight games, right? I mean, I, I don't think they expected UCLA to score like three points over the first two weeks, and it's about to get a lot worse, you know, against Oklahoma, but. You know, I, I think it's the Chip Kelly thing is disappointing because it's easy to forget like how much of a virtuoso he was. What ten years ago now already? I guess eight, yeah. eight ten years ago. I mean, this guy was, you know, considered to be on the, the cutting future. edge of everything. Yeah, right. I mean, to the degree that the Philadelphia Eagles handed him not only the head coaching job but basically gave him personnel decisions as well. Which, like he was getting, he was getting more love from like the NFL types than like Lincoln Riley is right now. Still, right. I think I think he was in a lot of ways the first version of Sean McVay mm-hmm. you know where the McVay thing exploded this past summer with all the hires and whatnot and Kelly doesn't necessarily have that same coaching tree but the way that people revere McVay and talk about McVay and he can kind of do no wrong that's what Chip Kelly was for so long that's right and I think the belief was the NFL just wasn't his cup of tea he couldn't get his guys you know it, it takes even in college football it takes three four years to kind of get your cycle of guys in and and the, the, the right type of players for your system and I mean, UCLA has the resources, you know, it, it has the recruiting base that it should be a fairly quick turnaround. And I mean, it's been a complete disaster and on all more, accounts. More left the, the cupboard pretty full. Like a right. lot of this, a lot of like the contributing players at UCLA right now are guys that, that Mora brought in. So didn't they, didn't they have a commit from the number one overall guy in the class? They, this guy, Thibodeau, right? No, that's Oregon. Oh, Oregon. Um, but Maybe not. I'm sorry. Then. They had a, a guy named like J- Jalen Young or J- Jalen something or other that that was like two years ago was maybe the number one overall player, and and they have another guy that that has since moved on to Miami. Um, they've had just a, a, a bad luck of these guys who maybe are overly inflated in the recruiting ranks, mm-hmm. and, and that they, they bring them in. You know, Roquan Smith was committed there until like the very last second, like sent his fax to Damn. Georgia. So that was very close uh, victory uh, for Georgia. I think I was one. thinking of Jalen Phillips. Jalen That's Phillips is the one. Yes. Uh, is he at Miami now? Uh, I don't he, know. I'm just looking at his 247. Okay. Speaking of Roquan's foot, this is not an, yeah, he is at Miami. This is not an NFL podcast, but my God, did he look good against the Packers? He is a freak, man. He is like, once he like has an understanding of every, of like the defense and what his assignment mm-hmm. is and, and he doesn't have to think he just plays like he's so fast to the ball. Like his yeah. instincts are just preposterous. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Him play. I don't purport to be a, an expert on defensive players in the NFL, but he's one of those guys that even if you're just watching casually, is just like, always around the ball, mm-hmm. always around the ball. Um, so yeah, not a great week three in summary, 
but should be a lot of fun from a DFS perspective. Yes. Um, let's get into some of these games on the main slate on DraftKings on Saturday. Uh, I'll let you lead off with Maryland Temple. Okay, so Maryland Temple is is the best over under that we have on the, on this main slate. Um, Maryland kind of a skinny favorite relative, all things relative. You know, just a touchdown favorite against Temple. Temple, I believe, coming off the bye. Um, but the, for as many points as Maryland put up last week and in, in the past two weeks overall, not a whole lot of flux in their in their pricing actually. And, and Josh Jackson, um, he's sixty six hundred now. He was sixty five hundred last week. So even after that that really strong performance against Syracuse, uh, still super affordable as like your super flex type of guy. Um, Anthony McFarland down to sixty six hundred uh, after being seventy one hundred last week. I think a lot of that has to do with he lost or he kind of seeded some some carries uh, to the backups. Um, Maryland likes to rotate like upwards of four, maybe five guys, especially depending on, on the game script. Um, so like uh, Tayon Fleet Davis, Javin Leak, Jake Funk, awesome name. Um, all those guys got in on the action and did well. So like that Maryland didn't need to ride McFarland. And maybe this is this is an indication that that his carry floor is is relatively low again this week but i think 12 carries for mcfarland against this temple defense the way that maryland's offense is rolling right now should be enough to hit value at 65 or at 6600 so i like him um when it comes to other games from around the slate oklahoma state versus tulsa obviously the like the premier matchup of schools in the state of oklahoma um we got the the pokes projected to score about 40 points uh tons of studs on that roster i mean you got uh, Spencer Sanders, who I believe is the most expensive quarterback on this slate, true freshman, 9,300. Chuba Hubbard, our, one of our favorites, 8,300. Tylen Wallace, also super expensive. So um, it's hard to really get cheap pieces of this offense that you know are bankable because those three guys just kind of like hold up, take up so much water in the rest of that offense. So I, I think I'm either going with the studs at OK State or I'm not touching it at all. I, I don't think I'm going to try to get too cute with, with how I'm playing those guys specifically. Yeah, you mentioned Tylen Walls. He's $600 more expensive than Jerry Judy, which which speaks to, one, his talent, two, the matchup. He had five catches, 180 yards, three touchdowns in their week one win. I mean, it was against McNeese. Are they no longer McNeese State? Is it just McNeese? Oh, that was last week, I believe. Oh, excuse me. I'm looking at his uh, just his most recent update on DraftKings. Okay, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think week one, and then week Week one, I'm sorry, they were at Oregon State. And then, oh, okay. Then last week, so the most oh, recent game. Five for 92 against Oregon State and two touchdowns. So he's got five touchdowns check. already through through two games. <laughs> yeah. So he's just, yeah, he's just so yeah, bankable. Um, and there's really no one close to him on, on that on that roster in terms of talent. So like Judy, like he he is clearly like a guy that I think is in play on DraftKings now for, for how much targets he gets relative to the other guys. Like he's the clear number one and then, you know, everyone else gets the the quote-unquote scraps um i, I like jalen waddle at 6100 um but you like the guys that judy has to compete with for targets are so much better than than what wallace does so that kind of informs why mm-hmm. he's so much more expensive than everyone else but um speaking of the bama guys uh rugs is the cheap guy this week at 5300 um I, I think i sent you a snapchat video of his touchdown last week and he was just an absolute blur goodness Jerry Judy has had already some insane highlight plays, especially in that in that Duke game. He had like three where he's reversing field and doing the Reggie Bush stuff. And he 
he's arguably like the third most explosive of these guys. Yeah. Unbelievable. So, so uh, definitely like him a lot. And maybe Waddle starts to like actually splash this week against uh, South Carolina too. He's 6,100. Yeah. So you don't have to like really, really change your roster construction to get him in. But on my initial build of those three Bama receivers, I went with rugs. This feels like a good matchup for Alabama. Like it, South Carolina is just good enough that this shouldn't be 50 to nothing at halftime yeah you know yeah. so like you, maybe they even play into the fourth quarter and you, you kind of get some more of that that usage from the receiving core but um you know like you said it's going to be kind of hit or miss week to week UCF Stanford any interest here um this is a weird one because Central Florida seems to be wholly unhappy with their quarterback situation Dylan Gabriel inefficient uh this past week um so and Daryl Mack the guy that was kind of uh you know, he was really good in, in, in relief of uh, Mackenzie Milton last year. Um, he broke his ankle over the summer. So that kind of gave the job to Wimbush. Essentially Wimbush has obviously lost it at this point, uh, which is, you know, he's Everett Golson was the other ex Notre Dame quarterback to go down to the state of Florida and just kind of fail miserably as a grad transfer. It, you know, I'm rooting for Brandon Wimbush, but I, I, doesn't doesn't feel like it's going particularly well for him and and a healthy Daryl Mack only complicates those matters further so I'm not touching any of those uh quarterbacks this week at Central Florida but uh Greg McRae and Adrian Killens both the running backs at Central Florida I like both of them Killens and McRae have like pretty much identical stat lines 23 carries for 143 uh for Killens 24 um for 149 for McRae both with a couple of touchdowns Killens a lot cheaper at seven at uh, fifty six hundred compared to McRae at sixty three hundred. So if if I had to choose between them, probably going Killens. But otherwise, I'm not really getting into mm-hmm. this game. Costello, I think, is supposed to be back for Stanford as well. All right. So looking at the quarterback position, Tua, Justin Fields, not a ton to say there. Right. Uh, both going up against inferior opponents again this week. Um, now you're going to have to pay up, but most likely going to be worth it to some degree. Uh, who are some guys, you know, outside of that, that top, top tier that you might be targeting? Um, so Sean Clifford is is one that, that really stood out to me. Um, I think that he's a guy at 7,300. He's going against Pitt, uh, Pitt for their defensive warts uh, or like sort of fears that the the game script could go unfavorably. Like they could just kind of like slow the game down too much. They've been running in the seventies as far as their, their plays per game though. So the tempo should be fine to keep the, keep both offenses moving here. And Clifford's been awesome so far. I mean, 12.4 yards per attempt, completing two thirds of his passes, seven touchdowns, no picks. He's ran for at least 50 yards in each of his two starts thus far. Uh, So this Penn state, offense it starts with him I don't think that necessarily any of these running backs uh they haven't really figured out yet they're still kind of waiting for one guy to emerge I'm not going to take that risk this week whether it's um Journey Brown or or, uh, Ricky Slade or some of the uh, Noah Sanders I I believe is the the true freshman that or uh, Noah Smith uh no that's not right but Trey Sanders is the Bama freshman but um Noah Kane of Penn State the, the freshman um that the running game is hard to figure out, but I know that Clifford is pretty bankable, so I, I like him as a seventy three hundred dollar target. And you know, if you pair him with like Pat Fryermouth, uh, who's their uh, tight end, nine targets last week. KJ Hamler, really explosive guy for them as well. So getting Clifford and one of those guys, I like a fair bit. And then you know, guys under seven K, Matt McKay of NC State uh, is pretty interesting. Uh, Zach Wilson, kind of interesting, um, going up against USC, and then Kadon Slovis on the other side of that game, uh, pretty interesting as well. And then Nate Stanley at six thousand, he is on the road, but Iowa State pretty bad defensively, so I, I think that he could at least return value for you at six K. 
he is just the most Iowa <clears throat> quarterback. I was watching a little bit of Iowa Rutgers Built last in the week, cornfield. and he just Iowa for whatever reason. I think ever since like Drew Tate, they've just every single quarterback that plays there. You're just like he couldn't play anywhere else. Like he just looks exactly like you'd expect uh, an Iowa quarterback and plays like an Iowa quarterback. It, he really does. It, the brand is very mm-hmm. strong there. Not not a ton of super appealing options at running back. I agree. This week, uh, especially if you're looking low cost. I know you like Charles Williams at UNLV. Uh, and then we just continue to roll out astonishing name after astonishing name on this podcast. <laughs> Zonovan Knight at yeah, NC baby. State. He's, he's awesome. And it seems like he he's what Ricky Person was supposed to be. Ricky Person was a, a big-time recruit in the past cycle, in the 2018 cycle. Never really got it going uh, this past year. But Knight seems to have already take, overtaken him. And he's the only running back over 25 carries in this offense. I think everyone else is under 15. So that kind of gives you an idea. And really my main point here is is that West Virginia is effing terrible, and I don't think Vegas has quite caught up with how bad they are just yet. I mean, the the eke one, eking one out against James Madison is one thing. Getting completely embarrassed by a Missouri team that had just gotten kind of roughed up by Wyoming, that's a whole other thing. I think NC State, not a great team, but certainly one that should kind of just pound West Virginia, and I think they'll do it with the run. I mean, McKay, uh, freshman quarterback, so they're probably not going to ask him to air it out as much. I think they're going to lean on the run game a little bit here, lean on their size advantage over this West Virginia team, and I think Knight at 5,300 is a great way of, of getting at that. What about the receiver position? We talked a little bit about Henry Ruggs. He's at 5,300, um, the cheapest of three kind of big Alabama guys this week. Deshante Jones, uh, I know you like it, full point PPR. Yeah, exactly. So he's someone that you consider on DraftKings at Iowa State. It seems like in the post-Hakeem Butler era, um, Jones is the one guy that Purdy really trusts. Uh, I know LaMichael Petway, um, their transfer from Arkansas, he's a good player, and he, he caught the touchdowns, I believe, in, in the uh, season opener. But again, I, I, you can easily project Deshante Jones to get double-digit targets. So that just sort of cheap volume, even though he, he might not be the touchdown threat that Petway is, um, I think that you're going to see him moving the chains pretty consistently here. Um, whereas with Petway, you have to rely on a passing touchdown from Purdy against Iowa. I don't like the chances of that as much. So Jones at 4,600 feels like a steal. On the other side of that game, uh, Smith-Marset um, at 4,800. He seems like he's Iowa's best receiver. He looks like he's actually good. Um, yeah. couple I mean, he's, he's no Marvin weekend. McNutt, but no. yeah. <laughs> How could he be? You know, he, he stands on the shoulders of Giants, but... Uh, I like him, 4,800. Darrell Stewart at Michigan State. I don't love the Michigan State passing offense, but it's a pretty narrow tree, and he seems to be the best one of that bunch by a pretty wide margin, over 10 yards a target for him. Uh, So I like him better than Cody White if you were going to approach that one. But I'm mostly using those guys as like a one-off in my lineup, uh, not stacking that Michigan State Mm -hmm. passing game. And then uh, Maurice French, uh, 5,400, 25 targets through two games. Um, So he's at Pitt. Uh, Obviously, Pitt's going to be going to the air a lot because they're going to be losing to Penn State. So uh, he's sort of like a more expensive version of Deshante Jones in my mind, a a guy that not going to have like a great real-life game, but I think there's a very good chance that with the amount of volume that he has – he hits pretty nicely uh, for DraftKings. Uh, a recurring segment that I think we're going to debut this week and hopefully continue <laughs> through the rest of the season. Who is your obvious value of the century of the week? 
Oh, it's got to be Elijah Collins, again, of Michigan State. Um, he's minimum price, ran for 192 uh, this past weekend against Western Michigan. Um, so a, a bit of a, a slip up in the pricing, I think, from from DraftKings. So like Connor Hayward uh, moves into the background now. I mean, D'Antonio went as far as to like officially announce Collins as the starter yesterday, which he doesn't always do. He's always like, oh, you know, we're going to mix it up, blah, blah, blah. So uh, for him to be emphatically like Collins is the starter he's going to get a lot of carries uh you got to take that so uh, I mean Arizona State's defense will probably be the best one that Michigan State's faced to this point but it's still not awesome Uh, I think Michigan State should be should be able to run on them a fair bit so Collins I like him I mean at 3,000 you just don't feel like you're pulling one over on the rest of the field by using this but he's not going to burn you the way that like Keelan Robinson did at Alabama that first week when Harris and and Brian Robinson Mm. were suspended so the Notre Dame game not included on DraftKings. It is available on the Saturday FanDuel slate. Uh, I, I'm going to go Notre Dame over New Mexico. I, I think you probably Hot agree take. with that um, by way of Notre Dame putting up a lot of points. We think in that game, Ian Book, Tony Jones become options. Yeah, I love those guys this week on, on FanDuel. It's, they're both pretty expensive, but like Jones, with the way that the other running backs at Notre Dame are, are dinged up right now, I think that even though Notre Dame would probably like to get out of this without giving Tony Jones 20 carries because they got Georgia the next week, I think they, they're kind of out of options right now. So I think Jones sees that workload and against New Mexico. I mean, especially this Notre Dame offensive line looks like it did not fully to like the two years ago, McGlinchey, Quentin, uh, Quentin Nelson, but like it's good. It's it's a Notre Dame offensive line, so New Mexico stands no chance. And Ian Book uh, can run, pick up first downs, and also throw it a fair bit. So like him uh, at 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 his price as well. Not a ton to get to in terms of just ancillary stories this week. Uh, so we'll try to keep it short. Of course, we have no hard knocks to recap, um, but it. both of our our NFL allegiances uh, had notable notable week ones for very different reasons. Your Baltimore Ravens look like one of the best teams of all time. Yes. Uh, the Dolphins might That's be exactly. the worst team of all time. I'm putting the Dolphins on 0-16 watch, by the way. The reverse, like, what is Mercury Morris going to do if, if they go 0-16? You know, like, they'll have the distinction of being the defeated team and the only undefeated team. Right. Well, we've had, how many defeated teams have we had? Two? We've had the Lions and the Browns. Right. So this would be the third not I mean, this special. feels like it. Uh, it could, it's very legitimate, and you don't often say that after week one. But when half the team is requesting a trade, not to mention getting just completely overmatched by a good Ravens team, but not not necessarily a Ravens team that people thought would. It'd be one thing if the Patriots went in and did this in week one, but you know the Ravens were probably viewed by most as like what an eight to ten win team, a, sure. a good team, not a great team. Um, in like a they, total ground and pound, like the like the long touchdown passes right. were not going to be a part of this. No, if, not according at all. to national media. How Miami bounces back against New England, if it's even possible to do that this week, I think will say a lot. If they come out and get housed fifty-three to nothing, I'll I will be very firmly in the own sixteen camp. But if they make it a fight and lose by a touchdown or two somehow at home, you know maybe maybe it will change our tune. But the Ravens look awesome. Lamar Jackson looks awesome. More importantly, Hollywood Brown yes. looks incredible. Holy smokes! That is how fun is it when a guy like that who is one of the most fun players, if not the most fun player in college football goes and does the exact same thing in the nfl like he's everything that i wanted john ross to be a couple years ago oh my god that's the perfect comparison just like so ridiculously fun to watch on saturdays how could this possibly go wrong on right. sundays and then then john ross goes wrong and you're like oh god how is this going to go right for hollywood yeah. brown uh, especially with the foot injury and no man he's god he burns uh and he he doesn't really care for contact so he gets down uh the second that anyone's going to try to come after him yep. so love that about him just yeah self-preservation mm-hmm. bud you know looking out for number one 
Yeah, not hard to do when you're catching the ball ten yards, you know, and nobody's you know anywhere near you, and you can just kind of scamper to the end zone. Yeah, just dusting people. My NFL allegiances lie with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Disastrous start to the year. Worst case scenario. Not only is the quote unquote best defense in football getting carved up by the Chiefs, I won't even say carved up, just not tackling anyone. You know, it wasn't. It was right away, too. Right. Second play of the game, Sammy Watkins goes, what, 54 yards, I think that one was. Yeah. I mean, he had two long touchdowns in this game, a ton of chunk plays. Uh, But lost in all that is Gardner Minshew looking very good. Um, I I watched watched a couple. Watched a couple Jags preseason games. Was not impressed with what I saw from Mr. Minshew. But I, like I was saying to you guys in the office, like I'm not, I'm not buying into Gardner Minshew actually being good. I, I think the Jaguars, as it stands right now, are probably like a three or four win team if the season plays out. Ugh. You know, with Foles maybe coming back for like one or two games at the end, whatever. Um, but a lot of the throws he was making after taking over were not just check down. We're going to call a, a really conservative game and just try to get out of here without being embarrassed. Like these were legitimate throws. His interception, you know, was was a, a ball that probably should be caught by Leonard Fournette. And I, I I feel like there's something about him. Like he was, of course, a character at the college level, and it was in some ways a joke. You know, being a Mike Leach guy, you know, mm-hmm. they kind of seem like a perfect pair in some ways. Um, somebody that, as, as you noted, I didn't even know this before today, was going to transfer to Alabama to just like hang out for a year and try to get into coaching. Yeah, he was going to be a grad transfer, right? And he was he was going to go to Alabama last year. So he was right. go, he was going to go there willingly knowing that Tua and Jalen were yeah. ahead of them. Like, With no plans just, to play, right? No, he was just going to get a head start on the GA career. We found out yesterday that his family initially wanted to name him Beowulf. Um, I mean, you can read up. There's been features done on him last year. And like, he, to me, he seems like enough of a character that there's some destiny involved here, right? Like he was never, he was never going to just fade away uh, like a Jared Zabransky type of guy. You know, like there is something is, something is going on here. Like he's enough of a character and a personality and like, just like has like this weird aura about him that I'm extremely cautiously optimistic about where this is going to go the next few weeks. I'm loving it. Like if, if nothing else, like it's going to be really fun. And like you said, it looks like he can at least hack it at the at the NFL level. Last year, Cody Kessler took over, and it was a disaster. Like, not that mm-hmm. Blake Bortles was doing anything to hang on to that job, but like from snap one, Cody Kessler looked overwhelmed, and it was just <laughs> we're only putting this guy in here because our starter is so bad, we have to have someone else. Like I don't like, I don't care if Minshew goes and throws four picks next week; he's at least going to go for it. Whereas Kessler was just three and out, three and out, three and out. Oh yeah, and. the Jags were at least exciting to watch in a game that you knew they were going to lose as soon as Foles got hurt and the Chiefs obviously didn't really slow up at all um I'm I'm optimistic to see where this goes so week two should be interesting he looks like he was like swaddled as an infant in like a jean jacket or something like he he, and like maybe born with the mustache or something because the mustache game that he brings to the table is is powerful and it, it could not connect better with the Duval community with Jags Nation I think that's very true. Uh, yeah, you know, like Michael Vick really connected with the community. He was in the perfect spot in Atlanta for like uh, everybody there embraced Michael beloved. Vick. Like Gardner Minshew is like a mascot basically for the city of Jacksonville. <laughs> um, real quickly, ESPN did their top 150 college football teams of all time. That was released a couple days ago. About what you expect. I feel like 12 different schools made up like 70% of the list. You know, Alabama, oh, yeah. Clemson, Notre Dame. A lot, a lot of recency bias, I thought, which was kind of cool. Like, a lot of times when you know like if you re- if you read a ranking of like the 100 best nba players ever like half of them are from like the 1950s celtics you know? yeah they're like, playing okay, in a barn cares? somewhere but i thought espn did a really good job of including a lot of those teams i think 1904 minnesota somehow made the list you know that great 04 team does. that we remember um 
you know, of sprinkling in a lot of those, a few of those older teams, but doing it mostly, you know, kind of post-1960, which I thought was cool. No Wisconsin teams made the list whatsoever, mm. um, but something you should definitely go check out. I mean, I don't really want to talk too much about it on this podcast, but an interesting article you can go read. Uh, we'll finish out with this, though. I know you saw the new It movie, and you said It sucked. It sucked, man. God, that movie was bad. Like, it just, it, it tried to, like, touch on... You're a Bill on... Hader guy, right? Oh, yeah. So, like, he wasn't... He was, like, the only good part about that movie. And even then, it just kind of felt like um, the mo- like the production was just, like, we have Bill Hader here, and we paid him a lot of money. Like, we got to make him be funny in this scene, even though, like, it's not funny. There's ghouls everywhere or something. So, it was really bad, and they did, like, just really heavy-handed touching on like very like serious subjects but like never really like went back to them and it just felt really out of place within the movie it was also like three hours long so way too long for a scary movie just yeah the whole last hour of it you're just like is this over yet so um i recommend it to nobody all right i know you have to hop on the radio so real quickly give me your three favorite bets for this week and then we'll wrap this up okay so i like nc state minus seven at west virginia uh, i know it's a road game but i think the west virginia is that bad and we haven't caught up to it in terms of the line yet uh, maryland minus seven as well I, it feels like a trap maybe but I, I don't think that they're gonna have a letdown not against temple it's a very not this maryland team ge- no no sir and geographically very close i don't have to go very far for that one uh, up in philly and then iowa in like the only like kind of big game of the weekend iowa minus two and a half i I like them on the road against uh iowa state so three road games but three road teams but i like them all all right there you have it we'll be back next week